Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, warm Christian greetings to you and your family. A new year is upon us and it is full of perils and opportunities. I pray that God will bless you this year and that you will be more ready for His coming at its end. I hope that you're taking advantage of going to our website to review the prophetic intelligence briefings there. We are updating them regularly and adding material that you will find very interesting. There is more information than we can put on the monthly CD, so we are now using our website to add them so that you can keep up to date as often as possible. We are living in the most momentous period in history, just before Jesus returns in the clouds of glory. It is only going to increase in intensity and prophetic interest. Are you longing for Him? Are you turning your heart to Christ in every dilemma and perplexity? Are you listening to His voice? So many people allow themselves to be distracted by worldly things and fill their five senses with noise and chatter that keeps them from the quiet study of the Bible and the time of earnest prayer. Now more than ever, we need time for these things. I hope you are arranging your life so that you can spend time with Jesus and hear His voice to your soul. You can never navigate the difficulties and challenges of the last days without it. This month, Barack Obama assumes the office of President of the United States unless something prevents it. I held back my interest in this man until after the election so that you would have the most up-to-date opportunity to look carefully beyond the fray of political rhetoric and delve into issues that really matter to those that love the appearing of Jesus Christ. Before we begin, let us bow our heads in humble prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we come in prayer to you today to seek your presence as we try to understand the times in which we live. We humbly ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us what we must know. We greatly desire to walk with Jesus as our dearest and best friend. I pray that we will open our hearts so that we may listen to your voice and hear your counsel to our souls. We are living in a delicate time in earth's history. May we see it for what it is and not be blinded by our emotions or worldly attitudes. Please strip us of our selfishness and any unresolved sin or other issues in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray and for his sake. Amen. Before we take up today's topic, I want to share with you an important promise from Psalm 32, 7-10. Listen carefully. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance, Silah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. This is a wonderful promise. Christ wants to be your hiding place in the time of trouble, both presently and 
the great time of trouble that is coming upon the world in a magnificent surprise. Let us read on two more verses. Be ye not as the horse, or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. If you are going to have Jesus as your hiding place, you have to have a mind that is in harmony with his. You can't be like a mindless animal that is controlled by its owner through bit and bridle. You must learn to think like Jesus and act like him. Jesus never forces the will. He will not put a spiritual bit in your mouth. He only rules from within your heart. You have to let him have complete control if you are going to succeed in the coming struggle. My friends, I'm saying these things for a reason today. The scripture says that when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. When there is a strong emphasis on finding peace in the world, then is the time to watch and pray, because sudden destruction is coming. Where there's a lot of talk about courage and hope, there's going to be a sudden fear and despair. The people of the world are not thinking about the blinding storm that is coming upon the world with rapid pace. You need a hiding place in these times of uncertainty. You need a mind of your own, a mind that can think and understand the spiritual things of these times, a mind that is controlled by the divine. Also, before we begin the analysis of the election of Barack Obama to the U.S. presidency, there is something else that should be said, particularly to our American listeners. I don't want to be misunderstood, but because of the circumstances, I realize that it is a risk. I am thankful that for most Americans, race is not a barrier to electing a black man to the presidency. Race should not be an issue when determining qualifications for the high office. My message today and every day is not about race. It is about revelation. It isn't even about politics. It is about prophecy. But there may be those who feel, after they hear what I have to say about Mr. Obama, that I have a racial bias. After all, they might add, I was a young boy in the 1960s during the Civil Rights Movement and may still have some lingering or even subconscious perspective that prevents objectivity. Those of you that have been our subscribers over the last four years know that I have faithfully reported on the prophetic impact of the Bush administration and exposed their efforts to undermine the U.S. Constitution. I do not intend to ignore or downplay the prophetic implications of the decisions and actions of the next administration under Mr. Obama. As with Mr. Bush, I will be respectful. I will not resort to sporting with caricatures, jokes, or jabs. That would not be right under any circumstances. But I will address the prophetic issues, and I pray that all of our listeners will recognize that I am sincerely attempting to place these things in their great controversy context. Mr. Obama is a government leader for whom we must pray. He is part of the prophetic mix, and he is in play. Unfortunately, his skin color does not make him immune to manipulation by Rome or other globalists, nor does it make him any less susceptible to political pressure from the American people. 
it does not counterbalance whatever philosophy, perspectives, or biases that he himself may have, nor does it justify or excuse any immoral decisions that he may make. He is not the Savior of the United States or the world. His remarkable and historic achievement can be acknowledged for what it represents, but it doesn't change the fact that we are living at the end of time, that there will be forces that will manage him from behind the scenes, and that he will have a prophetic role to play as the U.S. president. Lest some think that I will be more aggressive concerning President Obama than I would be if Senator McCain had been elected, let me say that in my opinion at least, at this time, there is more from a prophetic standpoint to be concerned about with McCain than with Obama. The fact is that up until now I have reported mostly on McCain's cavorting and collaboration with Rome and Governor Palin's potential prophetic place. But now our attention must of necessity turn to President Obama. I do not claim to know all that there is to know. Nor do I claim to be perfect in my analysis or presentation of the facts about President Obama, but I must not ignore the obvious issues that should concern God's people. I hope that you will understand that I will do my best to faithfully reflect unvarnished truth. And lastly, we have to realize that regardless of our personal opinions, it is time for God's people to get ready for the crisis. Those that love the truth cannot blind their eyes to the signs of the times or become emotionally bound up in the personal achievements of men while failing to take the steps necessary to be aware and prepare for His coming. Having said all that, let us consider the recent election of Barack Obama to the U.S. Presidency. The enthusiasm was palpable. A vast reservoir of hope inspired millions who were fearful of the economic situation or who were tired of the abuse that George Bush had heaped upon the U.S. Constitution or the loss of respect for the United States in the international community. Barack Obama's charisma seemed to be the savior that was needed right now to bring about change. But there were also those whose enthusiasm and hope was rooted in the fact that a biracial man should actually achieve the highest office of the land by popular vote. There was palpable hope, too, among supporters of gay and lesbian issues and supporters of abortion rights because Mr. Obama's political philosophy and his voting track record. Not all voters agree with Obama's liberal philosophy, but they were tired of the way things had gone for the last eight years, especially concerning the economy under the Bush administration. But the enthusiasm is not just in the United States. Obama's charisma has also captured the hearts of millions worldwide. Global leaders have had enough of the Bush administration, too. They want new blood and a change in American attitudes that ignore their own interests. They want someone who will use American power to enhance globalism. Unprecedented international interest in the American election reveals that worldwide people hope for change. It would be hard to overstate how fervently vast stretches of the globe wanted the election to turn out as it did, to repudiate the Bush administration and its policies, wrote the International Herald Tribune. There is the feeling that for the first time since Kennedy, America has a different kind of leader, said Alejandro Sox, an Argentine scriptwriter in Buenos Aires.
I think it can restore the image of America around the world, said David Charlot, a lawyer in Paris, France. We have so many hopes and wishes, said Suzanne Greishaber in Berlin, that Obama will never be able to fulfill them. Perhaps that statement is a harbinger of the disappointment likely to come when Mr. Obama cannot or does not deliver on his promises. World leaders called him one right after the other to congratulate him. Others wrote to him and expressed their kinship or support. Here is what some world leaders said to Mr. Obama. Your victory is an inspiration for us, said Yulia Timoshenko, the Ukrainian prime minister. That which appeared impossible has become possible. Gordon Brown of Great Britain said Barack Obama ran an inspirational campaign, energizing politics with his progressive or liberal values and his vision of the future. I know Barack Obama and we share many values. We need to change the current crisis into a new opportunity, said Jose Manuel Barroso, the European Commission president. We need a new deal for a new world. I sincerely hope that with the leadership of President Obama, the United States of America will join forces with Europe to drive this new deal for the benefit of our societies and for the benefit of the world. Barroso is one of those that is working to restore the Holy Roman Empire in Europe. He is a socialist and a globalist. It is apparent that he is asking Barack Obama to join him in socializing the world with a new deal. One of the most poignant accolades, wrote the International Herald Tribune, came from Nelson Mandela, former president of South Africa, who said in a letter to Obama, Your victory has demonstrated that no person anywhere in the world should not dare to dream of wanting to change the world for a better place. Ban Ki-moon Secretary-General of the United Nations, said Obama's election was an historic opportunity for a stronger working relationship with the United States. But perhaps Kevin Rudd, the Prime Minister of Australia, summarized it best when he said, Senator Obama's message of hope is not just for America's future. It is also a message of hope for the world as well, a world which is now in many respects fearful for its future. Even the Vatican weighed in and urged Obama to show respect for human life and expressed hope that God would illuminate the way for him in his great responsibility, wrote the Tribune. While USA Today said that the Pope was praying for Obama. Perhaps the Vatican wants to assist in illuminating him concerning their issues. Some even speak of him as if he is president of the world. To some observers, wrote FoxNews.com, the international reaction has elevated America's president-elect to the unparalleled post, President of the World. That's a huge breakthrough for the United States and for humanity, said Walter Russell Mead, the Henry Kissinger Senior Fellow for the U.S. Foreign Policy at the Council on Foreign Relations. This is the fall of the Berlin Wall, times ten, said Ramayadi, France's junior minister for human rights on French radio. And an unnamed German man said, it's like we have all won. Barack Obama appeals to many of these largely because he holds globalist views. His speech in Berlin during the campaign is very clear concerning this. Listen to some excerpts of the things he said. 
Tonight I speak to you not as a candidate for president, but as a citizen, a proud citizen of the United States and a fellow citizen of the world. No one nation, no matter how large or powerful, can defeat such challenges alone. The burdens of global citizenship continue to bind us together. And this is the moment when we must give hope to those left behind in a globalized world. People of Berlin, people of the world, this is our moment. This is our time. Pico Ayer, in a Time magazine op-ed, wrote, The point is not just that Obama will bring globalism to America. He will bring America back to the globe. There is going to be a change, my friends, but it will be towards socialism. The circumstances we face today are similar to every previous socialist movement in history. Like it or not, Barack Obama is a globalist. He is not much different than other globalists, even though the public see much diversity on the surface. He has worked closely with other internationalists on the prestigious Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Obama has chosen a vice president that is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, a globalist organization. But his rhetoric about bringing the world together in peace and freedom is not going to happen as easily as he has inspired the masses. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 6, that as we near the end of time, there would be wars and rumors of wars, not peace. Paul said that when they speak of peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. From a prophetic point, the enthusiasm inspired by Mr. Obama will likely be short-lived. Yes, certainly there may be some changes for the better, such as the restoration of habeas corpus, perhaps changes in the way detainees are treated and prosecuted, and the reversal of certain executive orders and signing statements of the Bush administration that were the most offensive. But fundamentally, we are headed for more globalism. And in order to do that, President Obama will have to undermine the U.S. Constitution. Actually, there is little difference between the globalist agendas of the Democrats and the Republicans. They are all moving in the same direction, more or less. Though there are cosmetic differences, the underlying purpose is still the same. Plunder the liberties of the people and from Rome's perspective, bring in Sunday laws so that ultimately everyone will worship in Rome's way. Back home in the United States, many Americans, black and white, Hispanic and Asian as well as others, believe that Barack Obama represents a significant new opportunity for equality in both political and economic terms, and particularly for racial balance. Having a black president of the United States is historic and has captured the imagination of a wide swath of popular interest. Many were stunned by his meteoric rise to the high office, which usually indicates that it has been planned all along. In fact, the enthusiasm has made Obama larger than life and created messianic expectations of him. Some even depict him as America's savior. For example, the New Republic depicted him on their front cover as a Christ figure with his two fingers raised as in Roman Catholic icons. They placed a halo around his head and an American flag spread out behind him. 
Der Spiegel in Germany carried a front cover article about Obama entitled The Messiah Factor. And Rolling Stone magazine pictured him suited and serious with an aura around him. If you would like to see these magazine covers, go online and find this sermon on our website, and there you will find a link to a website that has them posted. At one point, Obama's own website blog had a picture with graffiti on a wall saying that Obama is God. His own official website depicts Obama and Biden with streams of light shining out from behind them as if to represent the rising sun, which, by the way, is also in the Obama campaign logo rising out of the American flag that does not have stars. Why is nearly all the world responding so enthusiastically to the election of Barack Obama? Yes, it is historic because of what it represents with regard to America's racial barriers. But it is much more than that. Many people who are his fans are not part of America's historical racial issues. The scriptures give us some clues. Revelation 13 tells us in verses 11 through 17 that the United States will cause all the people of the world to worship the beast and his image and will persecute those that do not with economic sanctions and eventually with the death penalty. If America is going to have that kind of world power, it won't happen by mere military force. Military force polarizes nations, some one way and some another. It doesn't unite. It doesn't resolve their differences. America's future clout has to have power of charisma if it is going to overcome its obstacles. For instance, if America is going to have the sway to command religious worship, even over the Muslim world, America has to become more acceptable to Muslims. Though Barack Obama is not a Muslim, around the world Muslims appreciate the fact that Obama advocates a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder approach to Islam. Having some background with Islam, Obama is ideally suited to approach Muslims. Think carefully about this. You may remember that in September of 2006, Benedict XVI offended Muslims during a speech at Regensburg, Germany. This offense was on purpose, and it achieved its desired effect. It opened the door to dialogue with Muslim scholars toward religious understanding between Rome and Islam. In fact, the first official three-day meeting between the Vatican and the Muslim scholars took place on November 4, 2008, the very day of the election. It hardly got any press coverage for obvious reasons, but it was nonetheless a significant development in interreligious dialogue. Now consider America's similarity to Rome in relation to Islam. President Bush has worked very hard during his presidency to align the United States to the Vatican in domestic policy as well as international politics. During the last eight years, however, he has been assaulting and offending Muslims by wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, as well as mistreatment of detainees and other offensive behavior. Muslims are now anxious for a change in America's geopolitical approach to the Islamic world. Suppose that now a multicultural man with Muslim background becomes president of the United States and begins to offer political dialogue to Muslims instead of military confrontation. 
if the United States under President Obama were able to also begin a parallel political dialogue with Islam to Rome's religious dialogue, the result could easily be a geopolitical church-state cooperation with enormous significance and implications. After all, the first and the second beast, Rome and the United States, work together, according to Revelation 13, to accomplish their purposes. Obama is not the favorite choice of the Vatican for the presidency of the United States from the point of view of social issues. However, Rome no doubt knows that she can work with the political opportunities that the Obama presidency provides. She can patiently develop her power at other levels until the political realities change for her social agenda. She can use Obama to assist her in dealing with Islam. Madeleine Albright, the former U.S. Secretary of State under the Clinton administration, has been a top advisor to Barack Obama on national security. She wrote a book called The Mighty and the Almighty, Reflections on America, God, and World Affairs. In this book, according to Greg Hamilton, director of the Northwest Religious Liberty Association, Albright promotes a movement toward religious and political ecumenism. She proposes drafting the world's leading religious leaders, including the Pope and his worldwide diplomatic corps, as diplomats at a higher level than even the State Departments of Western countries currently recognize. She advocates diplomatic engagement instead of the use of force to achieve America's goals with rogue nations such as Iran. John Paul II continually emphasized diplomatic dialogue over military conflict throughout his pontificate, and he powerfully demonstrated the ability of the Vatican to undermine whole societies that were opposed to the Roman Catholic Church. He did it by cooperation with the United States of America. Islam is a much larger and more volatile entity than European communism. It is a much grander target. The lessons learned in dealing with communism through cooperation will no doubt play a large role in orchestrating another and larger coup d'etat with Islam. Rome cannot achieve ecumenical religious harmony, let alone control, with Muslims if there isn't a growing political harmony between the United States and the Islamic world. That time has come. Many people already believe that there is a missing element in world political peace efforts. That element is religion, and they want to bring together religious leaders to work out ways to make religion a force for world peace. Rome is the only so-called Christian denomination that has a political diplomatic core, and it is very cohesive and active. Rome now has formal diplomatic relationships with 176 nations out of the 195 independent countries of the world. That's more than 90% of the world that has formal diplomatic relations with the Holy See. Rome has positioned herself to be the answer to the world's peace problems. If Barack Obama wants to activate his vision to tear down walls separating Muslims, Christians, and Jews... As he said in Berlin, he will have to get close to the Holy See in Rome, just as did other presidents before him. President Bush did much for the Vatican in the United States. Barack Obama may do much more for the Vatican internationally. 
A universal Sunday law would be impossible if there wasn't domestic and international cooperation between the U.S. and the Vatican, nor would it be possible without parallel religious and political achievements. Developing a twin track toward Islam with the United States would be a very necessary collaboration if Rome is going to achieve its religious goals and get the universal Sunday law train moving down the track. Perhaps Rome's social agendas will have to be put aside for a while as these other aspects develop. Remember, though it is God who sets up leaders and takes them down, there is a human side which he permits them to operate for a period of time. Those forces are working with Satan to bring the whole world under his dominion. They are using the political and monetary system to control the outcome regardless of the players. Obama, like McCain or Bush, is merely a pawn. For instance, the papacy wanted to orchestrate the downfall of European communism, perhaps so that there would be less opposition to the West, to socialization and centralization of power there. They allied themselves to two U.S. presidents to get the process going. First, the Pope and the Vatican worked with President Carter, a Democrat, in secret planning meetings, anticipating that he might well get a second term and they could continue the process. But when he lost his bid for a second presidential term, they had no difficulty working with Ronald Reagan, a Republican, to accomplish their purposes. It didn't matter to them whether they were Democrat or Republican. They orchestrated the downfall of European communism using both. The same is true of other internationalists, such as the Council on Foreign Relations, the Bilderbergers, and others. They don't care who is in office as long as they control them, or rather control the outcome. If Obama can inspire the Muslim world with his charismatic personality, perhaps a day will dawn in which the United States can hand the Vatican a geopolitical gift. Bible prophecy says that all the world wondered after the beast. That is Revelation 13.3. It also says that all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. That's verse 8. Most worldly people think of the U.S. presidency in purely human or secular terms. They want a leader that meets their expectations and has his or her priorities where theirs are. In this case, they voted for change. But they do not yet know what change they are actually going to see. Perhaps they will see some surface changes that they like, and certainly even some substantive changes in U.S. domestic and international policy. But most people have no idea how President Obama fits into the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Could the coming changes include efforts to unite the world more fully under more powerful global institutions, or even Rome itself? If, in fact, there is going to be a universal Sunday law and universal religious oppression of those who don't go along with it, there has to be a dramatic resolution of some major issues with Islam and other segments of the world. Can Obama deliver? Changing Washington in the way it relates to other cultures is a very important issue right now. Barack Obama made that clear in his speech in Berlin. Though he is very liberal and will probably undo a lot of the Bush domestic and international social policies, he may well do much more than can be imagined concerning fulfillment of Bible prophecy. God's people have to lift their eyes from the temporal to the spiritual. 
They must look beyond the rhetoric and get behind the political veneer. God's Word pulls back the curtain and reveals what is really going on behind the scenes and underneath the surface. There is a controversy of gargantum proportions, and those that are in political leadership are players in that controversy on a grander scale. CNN or Fox News will never give you the prophetic side of the story. Barack Obama is a human being. He is not a god, though some people worship him in their hearts or almost think of him that way. Obama is not infallible, and those who place excessive expectations on him are sure to be disappointed. But keep your prophetic eye peeled in the direction of divine revelation, my friends. If we lose our prophetic perspective, we will miss the important events that are about to happen. Barack Obama is part of the prophetic mix in our day, and there is no doubt that he will be used either to make progress toward the great crisis and the time of trouble at the end of the world, or to hold back the winds of strife, or perhaps even both. This is something that not even Barack Obama can control. He is subject to those four angels found in Revelation 7, verses 2 and 3, that are instructed to hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. Friends, Barack Obama can either cooperate with heaven or resist heaven. He will have difficult choices to make, but those can be overridden by the powers of heaven if they choose. Globalists are insisting on change, too. In fact, they are demanding change, gradual change, to a more socialistic world. A world governed by global political and economic institutions. A world centralized under the control of fewer and fewer people. Change is in the air, but the change that we will see is not what will benefit God's people ultimately. I believe that Barack Obama is going to be under the same internationalist pressure that George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George H. W. Bush, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, and presidents before them were under. Internationalists and globalists are not of one political persuasion. They operate on all sides of the political spectrum. They use one political party, then another, to fulfill their purposes. They alternate between parties so that the people feel they have change. This gives people the illusion that they are actually voting their choice. Rome is the ultimate internationalist power, and she will work with whomever is in office, even if she strongly disagrees with them on some important social issues. Rome has gained tremendous power in the United States during the presidency of George W. Bush and his predecessors. President Obama will be under the same Roman Catholic influences that they were under. Rome will have more difficulty with some things, but they know how to work with liberal Democrats as well as conservative Republicans. Make no mistake about it, Rome is positioning herself patiently for the future. She will not cut her ties to the American administration now that the door has been thrown wide open. They will not let go of their position and influence nor will they squander it on useless rhetoric. Meanwhile, it remains to be seen how soon Barack Obama will visit the Pope at the Vatican. I hope that our listeners in the United States did not vote for parties or for individuals, only moral issues, usually contained in referendums. I'm sorry to tell you that if you voted for Obama, we are told that you will become partakers of the sins which he commits while in office. 
if McCain had won, those of you that voted for McCain would have been partakers of the sins he would have committed in office. Here is the quote from Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 475. We cannot with safety vote for political parties, for we do not know whom we are voting for. We cannot with safety take part in any political schemes. We cannot labor to please men who will use their influence to repress religious liberty and set in operation oppressive measures to lead or compel their fellow men to keep Sunday as the Sabbath. The first day of the week is not a day to be reverenced. It is a spurious Sabbath, and the members of the Lord's family cannot participate with the men who exalt this day and violate the law of God by trampling upon His Sabbath. The people of God are not to vote to place such men in office, for when they do this, they are partakers with them of the sins which they commit while in office. My friends, politics are divisive, and they distract from the truths of the three angels' messages. We cannot afford to get involved in politics. We cannot vote to put in office those who exalt Sunday as a day of rest, because if they are elected, we then involve ourselves in their sins while in office. Those who unite with Rome either in promoting her social agenda or in international politics are leading people to Rome. Many people don't know about this statement or wish to justify their voting for one candidate or the other, but God's counsel is very clear. Many people hope that Barack Obama will defend freedom of religion and they think that he will be more likely to do so than Senator McCain. Though I am inclined to agree with that assessment, I am not ready to jump to that conclusion. Remember that religious liberty is the crown jewel of the U.S. Constitution. All other personal liberties surround it like shields to protect it. They are like the secret servicemen that always go in front on both sides and behind the president or the pope or other world leaders wherever they go in order to ward off any threats to their lives. When the shields are removed, then religious liberty is vulnerable. If someone is going to attack them, they first have to get past the secret service who would try to kill them in the process. Freedom of speech, freedom of the press, the right of public assembly, the separation of powers, the right to a jury trial of peers, presumption of innocence, the right of habeas corpus, and many other personal liberties and protections are the constitutional secret servicemen who protect religious liberty from harm and danger. That's why it is important to track assaults on these things, too. No president dare attack religious liberty directly, at least at this time. It is sacredly enshrined in the American mentality, yet there are continual attempts to restrict or remove the barriers and protections. And when that is sufficiently done, a crisis will arise that is designed to create an emotional demand for Sunday observance, leading to the mark of the beast and the persecution of those who break this law. My friends, pollsters and pundits may say that this group or that group, this segment or that segment of the population was the key to the election of Mr. Obama. But in reality, there are forces at work behind the scenes that are unseen by the common man. There are also supernatural forces at work that are unseen by all. I went online to a list of the members of the Council on Foreign Relations, which is an elitist and globalist organization. I discovered that the list includes none other than Joe Biden, the new vice president and a Roman Catholic. 
He is part of the inner circle of individuals who are gradually working to destroy liberty and extend the power and reach of international institutions, laws, and policies over sovereign nations, and their citizens, of course. Incidentally, John McCain is also a member of the CFR, the Council on Foreign Relations. The hope that Barack Obama will protect or uphold the U.S. Constitution, as he will be sworn to do, is not likely, though he will reverse some of the most offensive Bush policies. When you actually look at what he has said about the U.S. Constitution, it is obvious that he does not see it as an unchangeable document, and will very likely attempt to change it, or ignore it, or work around it. He has no doubt learned a lot by watching President Bush over the eight years of his presidency. Barack Obama believes he must side with Supreme Court Justice Breyer's view of the Constitution, that it is not a static, but rather a living document, and must be read and, of course, applied in context of an ever-changing world, he said. In other words, my friends, Obama believes that he is to use the U.S. Constitution to accomplish his purposes. He is not likely to uphold the original intent of the Constitution. To him, it is changeable, or at least its interpretation and application is changeable, as the demands of society require. Think about this in light of religious liberty. Suppose there is pressure for a Sunday law from religious leaders and the people of the United States. Will Barack Obama defend religious liberty? Or will he find a way to justify oppressive laws on the basis that the Constitution is a living document and can be adjusted to meet the needs of our times? A friend of mine, a pastor in fact, told me that he voted for Obama because Obama has no track record of voting for oppressive measures. He justified his action on the false idea that the prohibition against voting for parties and or people, in the spirit of prophecy, doesn't apply unless the person has a record of voting for oppressive measures in the past. But, my friends, Obama is wide open for it. Under powerful political pressure from evangelicals, Catholics, and others who are emotionalized by fear of further destruction and divine punishment, how difficult would it be for the president to oppose Sunday laws and defend religious liberty? We don't know if this will happen during Obama's term in office, but it will happen at some time. There are other dangers from a president that views the Constitution as a living, evolving document. Will he restore the proper balance in the separation of powers between executive, legislative, and judicial powers? Will he restrain himself from signing statements, exempting him from following the law, or executive orders that circumvent the law? Will he be able to resist the temptation to increasingly blur the line of separation between church and state by not expanding faith-based initiatives begun in the Bush administration? Though there are some good things about him, those who know recent history of the Clinton and Bush administrations know that presidents by nature, whether Democrat or Republican, tend to strengthen their power when given the opportunity to do so. I don't think President Obama will have too much regard for the document that made America a prosperous nation for so many years, particularly if he wants to socialize the nation by globalization. Do you? We need to watch for change. Perhaps there will be some significant changes to the U.S. Constitution, or at least in the way the new administration applies or misapplies it. 
President Bush was notorious for taking exception to the Constitution and essentially ignoring its principles in dealing with the war on terror. There is hope that Obama will turn back the tide on the abuse of personal rights and liberties. There is also hope, in many minds, that Obama will appoint liberal judges to replace the existing liberals on the Supreme Court who want to retire, as well as in the federal courts. If he is successful, it may help slow down the process of undermining some aspects of the Constitution and naturally strengthen barriers or the constitutional secret service agents that protect religious liberty. On the other hand, if the result moves the nation too far in the liberal direction, it could likely cause a backlash that will eventually swing the nation in the opposite direction or even to the opposite extreme. Obama is coming into the White House with a very strong Democratic Congress. Though the Democrats cannot prevent a filibuster, it will be very easy for Obama to make a lot of progress on his agenda, whatever that may be. It will be hard to resist the temptation to enact strong liberal policies and thus facilitate too much of a change. This could undermine Democratic strength in future elections. This is, in fact, exactly what has happened to President Bush. He went so far with his agenda that he squandered Republican credibility with the voters. They elected a majority of Democrats to Congress, which restricted his ability to continue at the speed with which he was going. This was a good thing under the circumstances. The strength of the Democrats in Congress could be a liability for Obama. The point here is that the angels can use these political reactions and circumstances to hold back or advance the winds of strife. Perhaps this is one reason why Barack Obama was elected president. Whoever his handlers are in the unseen political arena, they too are subject to those mighty angels. There is an argument, however, that President Obama will be more centrist in his approach to American domestic and foreign policy. If he is careful politically, he can work in a bipartisan way to reverse some of the damage of the Bush administration, while at the same time resist the temptation to burn political capital on his leftist agenda and jeopardize a second term. It is still too early to tell what is going to happen with regard to religious liberty in the U.S. Constitution with President Obama. But we do know that he is a Sunday keeper and that if the pressure mounts because of a crisis, economic or terrorism or otherwise, to enact laws that get America back to God, he will likely submit to the demands of the people. Already the Sunday law issue has surfaced. On Obama's website, there is a place for a blog. That's a place where people can post their comments. Obama says that he does not endorse the statements made. One blogger posted this about Sunday laws. There have been a lot of changes in the past 100 years. Not only have we seen gang activity increase along with crimes, but so has energy consumption. The other change I realized was the rescinding of the Sunday laws across the United States. Originally, the Sunday laws were instituted to make sure that people wouldn't have to choose between work and church. I have to wonder if there weren't more benefits to this. First, without business being open, your kids would have nowhere to go for entertainment. Parents would have at least one day they could spend with family and friends without having to align work schedules. Decrease in gas use across the board. Less crime. Fewer homeless people begging on the street. 
since there are no people to beg from. Less police would be necessary, if any at all. They could go on an on-call-as-needed basis so that they might be able to spend time with their families. Neighbors would have time to get to know each other. So perhaps we should consider enacting a Sunday law, not to restrict people from working, but to give liberty to those who can't choose, and imagine the tax dollars that could be saved. My friends, I don't know why this was posted on Obama's website. Perhaps it would get read more easily there by many people. The issue is not dead at all. Sunday laws are on the minds of many people. In a time when many high-profile people who are familiar with classified information, including senators, representatives, and other government leaders, are predicting a major crisis early in the next administration's term, we can expect to see some very prophetic movements. Perhaps a Sunday law will come with it, or arise as a result of the crisis. Before we close today, let me read to you a statement from God's Last Day Messenger. It's found in Ministry of Healing, page 417. The Bible shows us God in His high and holy place, not in a state of inactivity, not in silence and solitude, but surrounded by 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of holy beings awaiting to do His will. Through these messengers, He is in active communication with every part of His dominion. By His Spirit, He is everywhere present. Through the agency of His Spirit and His angels, He ministers to the children of men. Above the distractions of the earth, He sits enthroned. All things are open to His divine survey, and from His great and calm eternity He orders that which His providence sees best. What a wonderful statement, my friends. We have nothing to fear for the future if God Himself sees it all. Though we struggle to take it all in and understand it, we can trust that He knows just what is best for us, for you, for your family, for His church. He works in the shadows, but nothing will happen unless He gives permission. We must keep our eyes focused on our mission and destiny. Now is the time to prepare, my friends. Now is the time to get your life in harmony with heaven. Don't wait until the crisis. Your walk with Jesus should be the most important part of your life. May God help you to be faithful and watch the signs of the times. There is much more that could be said about President Obama but that will have to wait for future messages. In the meantime, rest assured that we will do our best to keep you up to date on developments in this and other areas of fulfilling prophecy. There is a lot more to come, so stay tuned. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, you know what is best for your people. You know how soon the close of probation will be. So please hold back the winds of strife according to your will. In the meantime, please help us get ready for what is coming on this world as an overwhelming surprise. Give us victory over sin. Give us the fruit of righteousness in our lives. And give us souls that we can win to Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.
have received a rich blessing from this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you have just heard is Savior Divine, sung by David Kong and Danny O. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Where Jesus Walked. 